Today's episode of Dog Nation Daily is brought to you by Pella Window and Door of Georgia, viewed to be the best. Presented by DogNation.com, this is Dog Nation Daily, the daily podcast for Georgia Bulldogs fans. Here's your host, Brandon Adams. Let me just say one thing, real quick thing off the top here. I don't get sick ever at all. Uh, I also don't typically deal with allergies, things like that, but apparently I must be a little bit. I've been outside a lot lately, and so i got a little bit of a thing going on right now. So if I'm a little nasally or a little scratchy with the throat, I certainly apologize for that. Hopefully it's not too annoying. I'm fine. I'm going to power through it. Uh, No big deal on my end, but I'm always cognizant of how the show sounds in your ears, especially for those of you listening to earbuds, things like that. So my apologies if my voice sounds a little bit different today hopefully that's not too annoying and let me also say this as a way of kind of getting the show started today it's obviously not good news for us when a guy like Marius Mims announces his intent to transfer now we'll get to the clay web part of this before the show is done today too because uh that's also out there but but Marius Mims going into the transfer portal Mike Griffiths had good reporting on this kind of Raleigh's been on this there as well at dognation.com We just don't view that as good news because you've heard me say this now a lot over the course of the last few weeks that if you want the five best potential offensive linemen you could have on the field for Georgia this year, in some form or fashion, Mims would have, you would have hoped, would have been a part of that. Former five star, former elite recruit. And we talked about, hey, you know, it seems like Broderick Jones is emerging at left tackle. Uh, Warren McClendon seems to have that bedrock right side locked down. Could Mims kind of travel the Evan Neal path? Neal's about to be a first round, very high first round pick from Alabama, having played offensive tackle, but started his career at Alabama playing guard. Could Amarius Mims do some version of that this year? And could that be a way you get your five best offensive linemen on the field? We'd said that quite a quite often we had hoped that was the case but it certainly appears like that's not the way all of this is going that mims is going to leave the georgia program entering his name into the transfer portal i guess he could change his mind just because you're going to the portal doesn't mean you're definitely leaving but for now that seems to be the direction that all of this is going and i think the immediate thought on some of this from some folks is whoa this is all very strong evidence for how much college football is changing and Certainly, it's hard not to notice that we live in the name image likeness era now, and that seems to be bringing about great change. We live in the free one-time transfer. We kind of call this transfer portal, but the truth is the thing that's brought the most change is the freedom to transfer anytime you want to, uh, really, literally anytime you want to, for whatever reason you want to, and that seems to have you know brought about great change. And I think those of us who are Georgia fans are left to wonder a couple things here. What does this mean for the sport overall, which is a fair question, but what does this mean for Georgia in particular? And I think that's the thing I want to deal with here just for a moment, because even in the midst of great change coming to college football, the advent of NIL, the advent of free one-time transfer, it's important to note what isn't changing for Georgia, and it's important to provide the reminder for how Georgia leans in on what doesn't change as a way of powering last year's national championship and whatever future national championships Georgia is going to win. This is corny. I apologize, but I'm going to say it anyway. There's a story attributed to Abraham Lincoln. Then oftentimes, like these stories that get attributed to these like, you know, historical figures are oftentimes not really true, but they still kind of serve a purpose. It goes the story goes that when Abraham Lincoln was, you know, doing Abraham Lincoln things, he once said that if you gave me six hours to chop down a tree, I would spend four hours sharpening the axe. Basically saying I would prepare 
And then I would do the work that I needed to do. And, you know, Stephen Covey, who wrote Seven Habits of Highly Effective People, kind of had a version of this there as well about sharpening the saw being one of the seven habits that that if you want to be the best version of yourself you can be sharpening the saw sharpening your skills a way to do that the abraham lincoln story goes that if i had to chop down a tree i had six hours to do it i'd want to spend most of that time making sure i had the sharpest possible axe so that the tree was then easier to chop down and as i said before that's kind of a corny story kind of a corny analogy but the reason why stories like this stand the test of time and live on as long as they do is because there is a lot of element of truth in this is that player development, human development, but in this case, we're talking college football, player development still matters. Even in the days of NIL and even in the days of, hey, a player may just bounce out of this program anytime he wants to for whatever reason he wants to. That doesn't change the fact that player development still matters. In other words, Every head coach in college football right now has a choice. Do you want to treat your players, your potential recruits, your, your current players, whatever else, do you want to treat them as finished products or work in progress? Is this, per, is, is this player a finished product or is he a work in progress? And the best programs, the best coaches, the leaders of those great programs will always lean in the direction of treating their players as works in progress even though that's not how the players want to be viewed. Players want to be viewed as finished products. Hey, look at me. I'm worth a bunch of NIL money because of what my recruiting ranking was. Or, hey, I should be starting right away because look how big I am. Look how strong I am. Look how good I look, to quote Ron Burgundy. Um, Players want to be treated as finished products. That's just the way that it goes. But the best coaches, leaders of the best programs, will treat those players as works in progress regardless of how the players themselves want to be viewed. And that doesn't lessen the need for great talent. You have to have very high-level talent. You have to have big-time, good-looking prospects. But finding a way to treat those good-looking future elite potential players, those, those, those potential prospects, those high-level prospects, as works in progress, that is how great coaches are going to run their programs. And when you want to look at how Georgia won the national championship this past season – that explanation probably serves to to explain Georgia's national championship as much as anything. You take elite talent, you take unlimited potential, and you work to make it better. You work to develop it. You work to sharpen the saw, sharpen the axe. You work to take that raw potential and turn it into something, and that in so many ways is how Georgia won the national championship. And in fact, if you want to go back to this last week, Kirby Smart was talking about uh, wide receivers, and this is probably an intentional drop if you really want to kind of think about this, that this was not a, a, a just a happenstance that Smart happened to mention Marius Mims. He clearly, you know, probably had you know some inkling that this was kind of in the works. I think a lot of us had at least some, you know, rumor mill uh, connection related to all of this, but Smart was asked about wide receivers, and he kind of pivots the answer here to uh, Amarius Mims. But what Smart talked about in his press conference last week is so similar to what I was just saying a moment ago, that developing raw potential is the job of a coach. And no matter how things change in college football with NIL and transfer portal and everything else, the job of a coach to develop the player, to treat the player like a work in progress, no matter how talented he appears to be, that does not change, and Smart mentioned that while mentioning Amarius Mims last week. This is Kirby. What we're trying to do is establish depth at wide receiver. So we're trying to get young players that are talented to go really far. So Denial and Morissette, he's a young player that's talented, but he's got a long way to go. 
You know, the same way at offensive line. We look at offensive line, and I'm like, man, look how far Amaris Mims has come. Man, look how far uh, this guy's grown and gotten better, Devin Willick. I mean, like, like I want to see the players improve and not just gel. You know what I mean? Like, like improve your fundamentals and get better so that our team can be better. And we've got some guys, you know, that are getting better. I'm excited about that. They're probably not as good as you guys think they are. They might not be as good as they think they are, but they're getting better. Totally buy into what Smart says there. I'll even fall on the sword, take the L a little bit for what I do to hype up guys like Marius Mims. Because when you look the way that Mims does, when you have the recruiting ranking that Mims has, clearly guys like me who do shows like this are going to be excited about those kinds of players. But the one thing that also goes along with that is the raw potential, the elite talent, minus the hard work, doesn't really get you anywhere. Now, Kirby Smart was saying in that clip that Mims was was on his way to doing that work. He was on his way to to growing and getting better. But oftentimes, for players like Mims, maybe it's not happening for them as fast as they want it to happen. Maybe that's you know part of what this is, whatever else. But Smart says right there exactly what I was explaining a moment ago, which is that working to develop a, a, a work in progress is going to be the job of a coach, and that's not going to change no matter how much everything else in the sport kind of changes, that you can't change your prime directive, which is to develop the elite talent that comes into your program. If you want to play at the national championship level, that's the way it's going to be. And, and the truth is, is this has been the kind of the hallmark of the uh, of the SMART program since he first you know came on board here. I mean, I want to go back a couple of years ago for a moment, and I want to set these two clips up for a second. They involve Isaiah Wilson. Now, listen, post, uh, you know, leaving Georgia, Wilson's had kind of some weird things happen, right? We understand that. Some of that's been on the field. Some of that's been off the field. But this is a guy who came through the Georgia program and became a first-round pick in the NFL draft. First-round pick in the NFL draft. He came through this program as a five-star, uh, did not play a lick in his first year here in 2017. He watched another incoming freshman get a chance to start at right tackle, go on to glory, go on to accolades. That was Andrew Thomas. And Isaiah Wilson had to just sort of stand there and watch it. Thomas was actually a lower-rated recruit than Wilson had been. Uh, and uh, he was still sort of just sort of sort of forced to watch the guy who was only a four-star, that's when Andrew was, take the spot that maybe the five-star thought was coming his way. And eventually, Wilson worked his way into playing time and got it, became a starter and eventually became a first-round pick himself. And going into, I guess this would have been the 2019 season, going into that 2019 season, uh, you know, uh, Tom, uh, I should say, Wilson talked about what it was that he learned while watching Andrew Thomas play in 2017. Now, I realize that a lot's changed in college football, but this is not 45 years ago. This is five seasons ago, or just, you know, around that time, less than five years ago, that a guy like uh, Isaiah Wilson was talking about what had happened for him here at Georgia. And in light of what we're saying here about the need to develop elite players, that Georgia actually has a track record of doing this for those who are willing to be patient and allow that to occur. And in fact, let me let you hear one of those guys who did become a first-round pick at Georgia explaining that process. This was Isaiah Wilson from a couple of seasons ago. I want everybody on the team to win. Um, I don't care who you are. If you're on this team and you're in red and black and you're wearing that G and you're out there grinding with me, I want you to win. Whatever's best for the team is what I want. My freshman year, I wasn't ready to play. I sat down and I learned how to be ready to play. In 2018, I played. My freshman year, I was not ready to play. I sat down and learned how to play. And then the following season, 
2018, I was ready to step in and do my thing. I play. In fact, in this same interview from a few years ago, Wilson went into more detail about exactly what it was he spent learning while he wasn't playing in his first year on campus here in uh, 2017. This is more from the eventual first-round pick about some tough early days at Georgia. Very steep learning curve, Isaiah Wilson again. I think my first year, like any high school senior going to an SEC program in college, you have to get over the little hump and adjust and reacclimate to the SEC. So my first year was a learning curve. Second year, they gave me an opportunity to go out there and play ball, and that's all I wanted to do. My first year was a learning curve, getting acclimated to the SEC. And then after that, I was ready to go out there and play ball. Those are the words of Isaiah Wilson. Now, you can say what you want about what happened to Wilson after he got that first-round money, whatever else. That's kind of his business. But Georgia, in terms of getting him ready for that paycheck – they absolutely did their thing. That's what we said before about sharpening the axe or sharpening the saw, developing a work in progress and getting him ready to contribute at a very high level. That is what Georgia did with Wilson. That is what I believe a Mary, uh, could have happened for Marius Mims here at Georgia there as well. But apparently that's not going to be the case. So listen, that's Mims choice to make and he's going to do his thing. But the question becomes, if you're Georgia, what do you do about that? And my answer to this question is kind of nothing, right? I mean, this isn't going to be for everybody. Some players would just rather be thought of as more of a finished product. Some players would rather be thought of as just kind of you know, think of themselves as more not willing to do what Georgia's going to ask you to do, not willing to wait as long as Georgia might be willing to, you know, ask you to wait. That's just kind of the way that's going to be for some people. But ultimately, Georgia's path towards success is about staying true to what's made it great or what, what has made it great in the past because it's not just Isaiah Wilson who's saying the kinds of things that you just heard Wilson saying there go back and watch the interview that Jeff did with Jamari Salyer the other day Salyer also another former five-star from the 2018 class Salyer also a guy that when he first got here to Georgia did not play very much in his first season on campus and much the same way that uh Isaiah Wilson said man I learned by watching my first year Go listen to Jamari Sire. He said the same thing. I learned by watching. He said, if I'm quoting him correctly, I learned more about football when I, while I wasn't playing than I did while I was playing. And that patience is also about to be rewarded for him there as well. He's a huge part of a national championship winning offensive line. He's about to be an NFL player there too. Eat his working out exactly as it's supposed to. And that's just kind of the way it goes here for Georgia. It is a path that will not be for everyone. It is a path that's going to ask you to defer some glory, to defer some greatness, to view yourself as a work in progress, developing your skills, as Smart said in the clip we heard a moment ago and for some people the path just may be a little easier somewhere else and you can't really do anything to stop them from taking that path but if you're georgia you can remain steadfastly committed to what has made you a great program prior to this and my guess is that's exactly what georgia will continue to do my name is Brandon Adams, and this is Dog Nation Daily, the daily podcast for Georgia Bulldogs fans. Good morning to you, and thanks for being with us. No matter how you get to us today, whether it's 945 for our first and 15 at dognation.com or on the Dog Nation app, or 10 a.m. after that, Facebook, YouTube, Twitter, Twitch. We are just really happy to have you as a part of the program today, and we really appreciate our friends at Pella Window and Door of George for making it all possible. 
Uh, Palo Window and Door of Georgia does so many great things for you. You know, last night, <laughs> I got back home and uh, we've been gone for a couple of days and I guess we left the air conditioning on. So we got back home last night. It was freezing. I guess like in the downstairs, it's like 59 degrees or something like that in the house. So uh, my kids are cold natured. So we're cranking up the heat, you know, because they, they got to go to sleep. They got school the next day. And as I'm turning on that heat, I was thinking, boy, I sure am glad that the stuff that's happening inside the house here isn't escaping out, right? If you had poorly fitted windows or inefficient doors, all that energy, when you crank on that heat, all that energy just escaping out of your house. You don't want that. And that's what Pella Window and Door of Georgia provides for you, a homeowner yourself, which is making your home feel better on the inside. Things are expensive right now. Heating your home or cooling your home, these cost a lot of money these days. And Saving money is important, so when you get better windows and doors, it's going to give you a chance to save on those energy bills because it's going to keep that energy, the heat that's coming out of the vents or the air conditioning, whatever else, where it's supposed to be. It also looks better on the outside. Uh, nice curb appeal, always a great thing when you think about resale value or just making yourself a good neighbor there in your own community. That is what Pella Window and Door of Georgia is all about. You can find them online at PellaofGA.com slash dognation. That's PellaofGA.com slash dognation. You can uh, give them a call, 678-638-1496. That's 678-638-1496. You can also stop by and see them in their new, really, really cool experience center right there in Duluth. They're open uh, every single Monday through Friday from 9 to 5 and Saturday from 10 until 4. And if you want to kind of experience what so many homeowners in the Atlanta area have, you know, you look at all the surveys, all the things that have been done. Pella Window and Door of Georgia is, is just recognized as a leading brand, the leading brand. When it comes to windows and entry doors here in the uh, in the city of Atlanta, the state of Georgia, and if you want to kind of put your hands on it, find out what all the fuss is about, you can do that right there, and the new Experience Center right there in Duluth there as well. A lot of different ways for you to get in touch, but make the decision to equip your house with better windows and doors from our friends at Pella Window and Door. And by the way, you want great savings between now and April twenty second, you can get fifty percent off qualifying installations or payments as low as ninety nine dollars a month. So Pella Window and Door of Georgia is viewed to be the best. A lot of reasons why that's true, and we're happy to have them as a part of Dog Nation Daily here today. Okay, here's what's coming up. Before we're done today, I have a really cool announcement to make that tomorrow we're going to be giving away some good stuff on the program. I want to tell you about this now. I want you to stick around for later. We're going to do a really fun giveaway tomorrow, and it leads into a huge week of events for us. I mean, this is going to be such a busy week for us. So I'm looking forward to that and looking forward to telling you more about that before our show is done tomorrow. Uh, We'll get John Stinchcomb here, as I said before, coming up in just a bit there as well. Lots of thoughts from him on MIMS. Lots of thoughts from him on uh, Clay Webb, who's also entering his name in the transfer portal. We'll cover all of that with John. Before that, I want to go around the doghouse. I want to make two simple points here for a moment about what I think are kind of misnomers, but the current state of the transfer portal as it kind of ref, you know relates to Georgia, maybe you know beyond just Georgia here, but there are a couple of things that I think are probably incorrect. Here is one of the things that I think some people argue, and I think they argue this in good faith. It seems like a reasonable argument. I just think it happens to be wrong. There are some people who are going to say, well, B.A., you got to look at Jermaine Johnson. Johnson was kind of in an ensemble cast at Georgia. He got out from the shadow of some players at UGA. He goes to Florida State, and which is, by, by the way, one of the places that, that Mims is reportedly maybe interested in going. But he goes to Florida State. He puts up huge numbers. And now he's about to be a first-round pick. And I'm left to ask that question, okay, what is it? Is it uh, uh post hoc ergo propter hoc is that the uh, uh, latin here after the fact therefore because of the fact that somehow jermaine johnson's going to be a first round pick because he put up big numbers at uh at, at florida state 
Let me ask you a question. I mean this literally. This is not a – I don't mean this rhetorically. I mean this literally. Did better stats make Jermaine Johnson a better player? I would suggest they didn't. That Johnson first-round pick, I would say that he may have always been destined to be a first-round pick because of the talent that he displayed at Georgia while he was at Georgia and then at Florida State while he was there. That maybe Florida State used the promise of better stats, a way of luring him into the program, and there's nothing wrong with wanting more stats, wanting more glory. Some players are going to want that. But the stats themselves, I would suggest, did not make Jermaine Johnson a first-round pick. That Johnson was a maybe a first-round pick all along and just went to Florida State as a way of putting up the kind of numbers that first-round picks maybe think they're supposed to put up. And I'll give you some examples of this. I mean, There is some talk that Trayvon Walker may be the number one overall pick in the entire draft. He didn't have great stats at Georgia last year. He had, had very good stats, and he was a great player, but it wasn't necessarily reflected in the stat sheet. Yet when it comes to getting his hand shaken by Roger Goodell, that doesn't seem to have hurt Trayvon Walker at all. Devontae Wyatt played in the shadow of Jordan Davis. Is that hurting his draft status? Doesn't appear to be. Quay Walker played in the shadow of N'Kobe Dean. Is that hurting his draft status? Doesn't appear to be. That playing in the shadow of other great players at Georgia does not appear to be harming other great players chances of being drafted in the first round of the upcoming draft nor do i think that would have been the case with jermaine johnson necessarily either in other words it's obvious that johnson left georgia and went on to florida state and had better stats but it's not obvious to me that that those better stats made jermaine johnson any better of a player that he was always a pretty high highly viewed prospect whether he was playing an ensemble cast at georgia or in a starring role at florida state that the numbers alone didn't make johnson a more valuable commodity to nfl draft scouts they were more than capable of finding him if he would have stayed at georgia and been in the shadow or working in concert with all the other great players that georgia would have here's the other thing there as well you've heard me be kind of skeptical about some of this free one-time transfer stuff before i do think there's some sort of you know I don't know, some sort of parameter that needs to be put around the transfer portal a little bit. And the the number one argument that gets made against that is, well, be it, come on now. You know, coaches just move about anytime they want to. They're leaving and taking jobs all the time. And it is true that the coaches do move about a lot, right? I mean, it has been said frequently, and this is a very reasonable argument that, well, if coaches can kind of bounce from job to job and that you know, doesn't seem to be messing up the sport too bad. Well, how come the players can't, you know, uh, bounce around from school to school? Why why, why should player movement be restricted more so than, than coach movement? It seems like a pretty reasonable argument. I don't, don't, don't deny that. But what I would say back in response to that is, is that I think the people who think, hey, man, the players just want the same deal the coaches have, I think they're missing something pretty important here, is that while coaches do move a lot, they kind of move within a couple of expected time frames. It happens frequently at the end of the season, or it happens like right after signing day. Now, maybe it shouldn't happen right after signing day, but there are a couple of like obvious times during the year in which coaches leave. There is no ex- sort of expected time frame for players. Some of them leave during the season. Some of them leave during the middle of spring practice. That's what Amarius Mims is doing. There's really no time during the year in which players can't leave or won't leave. They any moment in time of the 12-month calendar, there is a possibility that a player might abandon ship from that program. That's actually a level of chaos that does not exist with the way that coaches typically leave. It's very unusual for a coach to leave during spring practice or during the season. It happens at sort of dysfunctional programs like Auburn, but it does not really happen across the board in college football necessarily all that much. And kind of to add on to that point for a moment, go read Mike Griffith's story at dognation.com for the other day. Mike says that 
hey, uh, you know, Florida State and Miami are already kind of, you know, the the expected leaders for a guy like Mims. And there's a lot of rumor mill stuff that seems to back that up. But uh, that's good reporting from Mike. And I'm going to be a Pollyanna intentionally here for a moment. How could it be that a player that just entered the transfer portal already has two leaders for his services? How could that be? I'm saying this intentionally naive to make a point. It's fairly obvious that if Florida State and Miami are already viewed as the leaders for Mims, that they must have been in contact with each other prior to uh, Mims going to the transfer portal. And like nobody seems to care about that, especially when it's the big program, Georgia, that's losing the former five-star player. There's some folks even almost kind of like that a little bit. But trust me when I tell you, the 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 strength of college football is built on its stability and the stability of college football or the stability of any organization entity institution is is, is established by its rules that, that if you start picking at the rules of college football if college football is going to be a sport with no rules then it's going to be a sport with no stability and the lack of stability was going to affect the strength and the popularity that that all of this kind of works together here a, a little bit so i'd be very careful with this notion of that the that the optimum amount of rules for for freedom for players is, is, is zero i'd be very careful trying to to make the case on that uh too much that 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 that, that doesn't seem to be good for the future of the sport i would say and you say well you know you know uh this is a business like anything else like professional sports well look there are a lot of professional leagues that take tampering pretty seriously organizations get fined for that you know that they take tampering pretty seriously and I think that college football ought to consider how seriously it wants to take the idea of, of programs recruiting players off somebody else's roster without that player entering into the transfer portal. That's the kind of thing that doesn't really get looked at too kindly by professional sports. They take that pretty seriously. I would suggest that maybe college football ought to take that more seriously, too. So there's a lot to speak about on all of that. Uh, that's just some of that for me off the top. I am very curious to find out what our buddy John Stinchcomb thinks about this there as well, because John as a great guy to talk to in a day like this, he is a former you know, elite offensive lineman in his own right, uh, All-American at Georgia, uh, former big-time recruit, goes on to make you know, a bunch of money in the NFL, won a Super Bowl with the New Orleans Saints, and now he is watching other players hope to travel down the same path that he's been on. So what does he think about a guy like Mims or a guy like Clay Webb who we really haven't even gotten into too much yet? What does he think about their departure? What does he think about how all of that is going? We will get that from uh, John here uh, and, and get some thoughts from him on all of that. A very busy day with a lot of news. And so a great chance to talk to John Stinchcomb about all that right now here on Dog Nation Daily, presented by Pella, Window and Door of Georgia. From Athens and across the SEC or wherever the recruiting trail may lead, here's a DogNation.com insider. Well, hello to John Stinchcomb here, Dog Nation Daily, presented by Pella Window and Door of Georgia. Man, John, so much to get into with you. Um, you know, I've been doing more of the MIMS stuff on the show. We got to get to the Clay Webb part of this there as well. But let me just start with the MIMS thing here first, and we'll go big picture and see where the conversation takes us. Marius MIMS into the transfer portal, former five-star who – Maybe going to find out, or at least you know, uh, try try to find out if the grass truly is greener somewhere else other than UGA. What do you think the, of the Mims news as it's been reported that he's maybe on his way out here of the University of Georgia? Well, it's frustrating. It, it's a little bit disheartening for for Georgia fans. It's also encouraging. It means that uh, Broderick Jones and Warren McClendon are playing at a level that uh, Amarius Mims is looking at this and going, "There's not a clear shot for me." to crack the starting lineup at my natural position at tackle. It also probably means that 
um, either it wasn't a great fit in, in the interior at a guard position or that the other players that are in competition for those spots are, are playing at a level at which Marius is going, maybe there's there's better opportunity for me. Uh, the way I read it, he, he probably comes into college, five-star guy. He's been told by everyone and their brothers that he's on a three-year plan. And uh, in three years, at the end of that season, he's going to be heading to the NFL and going to become a professional football player. So if you're looking at year two and you're saying there's not that availability that I was anticipating and uh, that the two tackles that are, are filling the spots that I'm competing for um, – Aren't, aren't walking out the door at the end of this year either, that there's probably a better opportunity for me to execute on the plan that I had uh, a year and a half ago when I signed on the dotted line to, to come to Georgia. You're looking at uh, Salyers on his way out, and that maybe that's a spot that I can easily fill. I'm sure that was part of the recruiting process for him. Um, but I think for Georgia fans, you look at it and you go – uh, a month ago, including Owen Condon and, and with uh, Drew Bobo coming to town over the summer, you had over 21, I think it was 21 offensive linemen on scholarship um, when it, that, those numbers just aren't going to add up. It, I think everyone looked at, at that position group specifically and said there's going to be attrition um, from National Signing Day to uh, that that start of training camp there will be some change there will be some turnover uh, 21 guys in a, in a specific specific position group just doesn't seem realistic when um your numbers still aren't under what is it 85 or 86 whatever it needs to be uh by the summer so i think we all realize and recognize that there is going to be players to, to walk away common being the first looks like uh clay webb and, and mims are the next dominoes to fall and yeah it's unfortunate because i think amarius mims just from the limited uh opportunities that he had this past year that he's going to be a really really good player uh he certainly has the frame he has the tenacity uh, i remember breaking down his film on this show with you yeah. uh last year and, and, and talking about uh, the tight player he is and the assets that he has um so it's you know i it's unfortunate for Georgia uh, that you lose a player of his caliber. But um, with that said, you know, the, the way the game is being played right now, and I'm talking about more than just uh, between the sidelines, um, especially in this off season, that the transfer portal is, is a very real opportunity for a lot of these guys to see uh, if there's, there's a better, uh, quicker for them to address any of the issues that they might have in their program. Yeah, I want to deal with a lot of that because I think that's a, a, a lot of, you know, very good stuff. First of all, on the idea of, you know, Mims and what his, you know, prospects could, could have been for this upcoming year had he stayed at Georgia. You know, I'd said many times that, hey, I like the idea of a best five for UGA that includes Mims, maybe playing the guard spot. And I'll admit to be ignorant of what I speak about here, John. I'm going to oversimplify this to make the point that, as a fan, a guy who watches these games from inside the stadium or on TV, I've largely operated on the assumption that, hey, not every guard could be a tackle, but maybe every tackle could be a guard. That, hey, just throw Mims out there to a guard spot and let him you know, do his thing because he's so talented. Uh, we've seen like a guy like Evan Neal kind of do that thing for Alabama, who's on his way to being a very high first-round pick at the tackle spot, but also played some guard for the Crimson Tide. 
is that a gross oversimplification that a guy like Mims, who is more naturally a tackle, that you know you can't just necessarily throw him out there at guard just because he's a he's a you know a potential talent. There is a level of technique there that that it requires you to know a little bit about playing the interior offensive line position. There, I mean, how easy would it have been for Georgia to take? the more obvious tackle Mims and just kind of throw him out there in the guard spot just to give him a chance to play somewhere. You know, how easy or not easy would that have been? Well, I think Evan Neal's a great example because both guys are, you know, your six, seven, six, eight range, not your typical guard, but Georgia has, has utilized a player of that same build or, or type in Ben Cleveland, uh, you know, who came out of high school is probably projected more as a tackle than he was a guard. Uh, but because of his flexibility and his opportunities and his skill set, was able to very quickly assimilate into that guard position and, and never really came back up the outside. And, you know, I think it's a player-by-player player, um, analysis that you have to make. Uh, you know, Salyer is a guy that I think most people would say is, is more proficient at guard, but yet had the ability to slide out the tackle and did so at a very high level uh, playing left tackle until a you know, national championship game where you need to make a change. And all of a sudden, because of his flexibility, he's able to move to the inside. You've got a guy like Broderick Jones that can step in and there's not much of a drop off. So when you have that versatility, um, it allows you to keep that best five mentality as a, as a coaching staff. And, you know, if, if Mims, is one of the best five, and you've already got two tackles that have pretty much uh, cemented themselves in the starting positions on both sides of the ball, then absolutely you give him the chance to compete at the at one of those interior spots, which I'm sure was part of that discussion. Uh, or, you know, as, as these coaches are looking through and combing through uh, the transfer portal for what can help them, uh, part of that assessment is, understanding the mentality of the guys in your own locker room. And um, if you've got talent, and Amarius Mims is, is certainly falls into that category, you're trying to figure out ways um, to keep him in-house. You don't want to lose a guy of, of uh, his talent level. Um, and, and so if that's – can we give him some opportunities at guard that both helps the team and uh, gives us more opportunities and, and options down the road because um, Lord knows injuries happen all the time, then then you were you're going to try to take advantage of that. So, you know, it, it's this isn't a, a new concept, a novel idea that coaches should look at players at, at different positions um, for for a number of reasons, and I'm sure that was explored with Mims. So let me also bring up something else you mentioned before too. Is like we're in the age of transfer portal now, the age of NIL, and there's all these like new things that coaches are forced to deal with, which leads to the obvious question of, okay, well, how much then does a program like Georgia coach like Kirby need to change with the times, you know, in terms of what you're asking from players these days. And John, I don't mind telling you, and maybe I'm old fashioned. I'm sure you're probably kind of, you know, closely aligned with me on this, but nonetheless, we'll have the conversation of if you want to play at the national championship level, I don't think you can change too much. I mean, look at Kentucky basketball. They're number one, number two in recruiting each and every year. They're a factory of future NBA players, but they're not winning anything right now. They, you know, they're, they're getting beat by St. Peter's in the first round of the NCAA tournament. That that 
you have to ask something of the elite talent that comes in your program if you want to be yourself, an elite program, if you want to be winning games, competing for championships, things like that. So you can't do it without elite players or elite, you know, elite prospects, but you are going to have to continue to to work to develop them, continue to to you know ask big things from them, to challenge them if you want to be as as good as you uh, want to be. You know, if you want to if, if you acquiesce too much to whatever you know modern demands the elite prospect has i don't know that you're in a national championship level you know program you know by doing that so to wrap up here give you a chance to talk how much should georgia change in light of the 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 new world of college football that we're in if it wants to compete at the national championship level i don't think it can change too much i think you look at the other elite programs um in in college football and, and you hear what's coming from them um and and what you see from the Alabamas and Ohio States and Clemson is we might be able to add a piece or two, sometimes three, but really how we're going to build our program is from within through, through high school recruitment. And we want our, our core group of guys to believe in, in the system that we've created in the machine that will allow them to maximize their abilities and get them where they want to go. Um, but we're not going to do that by, combing through a list of uh, uh, the entire transfer portal and trying to create an opportunity to, to just bring in um, a, a vast majority of the guys that can help us out. I, I think you're looking at position-specific needs. If there's you know a handful of guys, you know, like what we saw with uh, Kendrick this past year and Smith and and being able to add them late in the transfer transfer portal season um, and, and see if we can address some specific needs and how they fit in our system. Um, but you're not going to just totally uh, identify yourself as a, a transfer uh, destination and expect to have um, the culture, the identity, the quality that these top programs have when they establish everything from in-house. I think you're looking at adding to it, but not making it your primary source, um, which is the, the same expression that's being made. Uh, you know, there was recently an article from Davo Sweeney saying, you know, we might need to consider blowing this whole thing up. And uh, you look at the direction of NIL and transfer portal, and I think the two work hand-in-hand, and it's a much, much different model of college sports, specifically college football, than what it was, let's just call it, five years ago. Uh, the landscape has changed so much that they're barely uh, identifiable as, as the same creature, even. Um, and uh, it's probably the same could be true uh, five years from now when you look at where, where college football is, just based on, you know, I was listening to you earlier talk about the comparison between uh, college football players and college coaches and that well they can transfer well they're also under contract yeah. and uh, if, if you want to be treated uh, like an NFL player which is you know well, we you have contracts which there's heck of a lot more restrictions on NFL players now it seems like than there are for college players and their ability to pick up and move and, and transfer when things uh, aren't, aren't to your liking um, there's not near the amount of control 
uh, in the NFL level. When you've signed a contract and you know, let's say you're on a rookie deal, most teams can lock you in for five years. And that's just not the case, nor is it the model for college football. But to be honest with you, B.A., I don't know what that model for college football is right now. Yeah. Uh, there, there's uh, with the ability to for players to, to receive payment and, you know, we can act naive and say that that's not tied to a specific university, but that's hogwash. I mean, guys are going to specific places, and part of that is understanding their marketability. When you have long snappers making five figures for playing at a particular university and the, and the marketing deals that, that are availed to them, then that matters. And you, you can only extrapolate out what that means to – uh, more prolific uh, positions and, and, and the exposures that they might receive at a given university. Let me finish by talking about the other uh, offensive lineman who's put his name in the transfer portal, and that's Clay Webb. And, you know, John, behind the scenes, you know, we always get a lot of comments here on Dog Nation over the years about what's going on with Webb and, you know, when's he going to emerge. And I certainly understand why this is weird to a lot of Georgia fans that, okay, so here's a guy who's a five-star recruit. You know, big recruiting win for Georgia over Alabama and Clemson. A lot of talk about Webb as a recruit. And then we never heard a single word about him as a player. I mean, it's really pretty amazing that that never really, you know, became a, a thing on the depth chart, never really heard that he was ever really pushing for playing time. It was just total almost radio silence, you know, from the very moment that he signed with uh, UGA. And to me, some of this seems like it's probably injury related that that that. You know, he was banged up, and that maybe affected his ability to kind of develop his body as well as it probably could be. He came in a little smaller than the average offensive lineman that George was kind of signing during that Sam Pittman period there, and maybe he never added the mass that he needed to add. But I'm you know curious about your thought on this of when a guy like Webb is like this huge prospect and then it just doesn't materialize at all, what do you attribute that to? Yeah, that, that's an, it's an interesting case because you know, he's an athletic guy. He moves well. Um, and, and I'm going to reflect back to two situations. One, I was at the training camp practice uh, beginning of this past season, and he was off to the side um, doing rehab, basically, and not, not being able to get the reps to, to compete for a spot. So I, I think injuries and opportunity has certainly been affected because of that. The second thing is uh, a conversation I had with Jeff Sintel at one of our Dog Nation Marlowe's Tavern events, and um, we, we got on the subject of Clay Webb and how he was projected more as a center because of his willingness to, to step into that role primarily at the um, all-star games and, and those evaluation summits that they have, and, and he performed well and, and and you look at the fact that he's not one of those 325 330 type guys um and I, I think he started to get kind of pigeonholed as a five-star center and uh, my understanding is that he's probably more of a guard and uh, by nature with with a willingness to play center and so um you know it, it's one of those deals where whether it's system, whether it's uh, not really understanding uh, the, the fit for him as a player or his inability to develop to a point to become part of the conversation, he's about to start his fourth year at Georgia and has never really been a factor um, in that top two depth chart. So uh, that 
you look at projections and you you, you figure a guy with a, a skill set can develop in, into a, uh, a the player that you project him to, and sometimes that pans out, and sometimes it doesn't. And uh, you know, I, I I can't speak to uh, where where he's been in this process the entire time, but it obviously hasn't been, uh, he hasn't been part of the discussion and you can understand um, why someone like that who, who's got ability might be willing and wanting to see if he can't find more traction in another program. And I think it's a much different case when you're looking at the Clay Webb and, and Amarius Mims, two very different scenarios uh, as to why a guy might want to look somewhere else and, and the reasons behind it. I'll also say this, that, you know, I think there's a lot of Georgia fans who probably have a little bit of a wait-and-see approach to Stacey Searles right now as offensive line coach, and I probably understand that to a degree, but I don't really put either of these on Searles, right? I mean, you know, the Mims thing had been kind of sort of chatted about you know in internet circles for quite some time the web story as you said this has been going on now for multiple years that I don't really lay either of these transfers at the feet of Sarrells because these are both situations that he kind of inherited do you kind of view it the same way that that this is not the kind of thing where really either guy is is thought to be leaving because of you know some issue with Stacey Sarrells that that you know a lot of folks were kind of wondering what was going to be you know the fit for Marius Mims even before Sarrells got here oh absolutely and and it's a it's a good problem but it's still a problem I mean he, he walks in and you've got 20 guys in your in your room that all came in either highly rated or or with experience to where uh, they come in with expectations of realistic playing time. And so it makes sense to me that those that haven't established themselves as part of that main discussion, the top five, especially for Mims, but too deep for Webb and, and others, because I don't think these will be the last two to, to make a decision prior to, to training camp starting, is you want to see in training camp, in this uh, spring, spring ball, can I can I shift my situation? Can I improve it? Can I make an impression on this new offensive line coach? And all of a sudden, I become part of this discussion where I haven't been up to this point. And I think that's part of um, having so many guys in that room that are capable. And you know, we're entering the the last week of spring ball for this group and. They're saying, okay, I've got a much better picture of where I stand and um, what my opportunity is going to look like in two or three months. So I need to make a decision now. And that's probably the case for both of these guys. They've, they've given, and it's not a Stacey Searle situation, they've given uh, a fair assessment to where they stand and the, the talent around them. Um and they're saying, you know what, there, there might be a better fit for me elsewhere. So certainly not an indictment of Cyril's and his two weeks of, of spring ball with these guys. I think it's both of both of them have been in the talks of um, what's it going to look like for them in, uh, when, once the season kicks off. I think especially for Mims, the question was, you know, is he capable, is he willing to move into the inside or – can, can we get away with another year of him being a swing tackle um, 
and and would that be uh, satisfactory to, to what he's wanting to, to contribute to a team? And, you know, Roderick Jones and McClendon, neither one of them are entering into their last year of eligibility with Georgia. So uh, it was certainly a question mark um, as to how, the, how Amarius is going to fit into this picture anyway. John, fascinating stuff. Great insight. Thank you so much for your time here today. Uh, appreciate you helping us kind of make sense of a couple of very interesting situations here for UGA. So good stuff all the way around. We'll look forward to getting a chance to speak to you here soon there as well. I hope you have a great week. Hey, likewise, B.A. Go dog. Yes, sir. Let's take a look around the rest of the league. This is SEC Through. Yeah, I mean, to kind of put a little bit of a bow on the Mims thing for now, I mean, when you have a player of of Mims potential, when you have a a talent that's as measurable as his is, and he leaves the program, I mean that's not good news, right? It's it, it's not a it's not nothing to to lose a player like Mims. I certainly didn't want that to happen, but as I've said now many times, I also don't want to see Georgia make a lot of compromises in terms of what it is as a way of keeping guys like Mims in the fold. I, I don't want to see that either. That. There's a, I don't even think of it as like a, like a Goldilocks zone or whatever, but you know there's a, there's a certain level of talent you have to have, but also a certain willingness to comply that that talent has to have there as well. In other words, are you talented enough to play at a place like Georgia, and are you willing to buy into the system and, and, and do the things that Georgia's going to ask of you while you are here? And that is not an easy thing to find, but obviously if it was easy, every program would do it. And therefore, um, that's the path for Georgia to find that elite talent and to work hard to develop that talent, make the players better on the other side than they would be somewhere else. And that's just the job that uh, guys like Kirby Smart have signed up for. So we'll see what the aftermath of all of this holds with Mims apparently now on the move. Clay Webb there as well. Pretty interesting stuff from John Stinchcomb on all of that. Fun announcement for us coming up in a couple of minutes. Before that, though, let me remind you, we're getting so close to cruising around the SEC. Not just cruising around the SEC, but cruising indeed with the Royal Caribbean and the very first ever cruise uh, with Dog Nation. That's coming up just really just a couple of weeks away so excited about being on board independence of the seas for all of that and you still got i guess i mean a little bit of time to get on board here i mean the fact of the matter is the spots have really kind of run out time is almost running out so this may be one of those deals where you either get on board now or you live vicariously through us and have your own chance take your own cruise you're coming up very soon either way no better time to do that than right now with our friends at royal caribbean it is just so much fun to be going where we're going to the bahamas nassau perfect day coco Cay, amazing ports we get to visit fun things we get to enjoy on board the independence of the seas it's a really cool ship got some great specialty restaurants there's a sports bar playmaker sports bar they're on the ship that's a fun thing there's chops grill there's so many special there's ice skating ring there's uh, just amazing things to do like on board great entertainment options available wonderful ports to visit having so much fun uh, this is a great time to be doing this with our friends who are going to be on board with us and Dog Nation as we set sail here, leaving April 25th out of Port Canaveral, going to Nassau, going to a perfect day, Coco Cay, on board Independence of the Seas. And if you can't be on board this cruise with us, reach out to our friends at the Cruise and Vacation Authority and make your own plans to set sail with Royal Caribbean here sometime this spring, sometime this summer. Ships are back. 
on the seas, having a great time. I was just on a Royal Caribbean cruise ship in February. Trust me, I tell you, it was a blast. And I want you to do the same thing, whether it's our very first ever cruise with Dog Nation coming up on April 25th or your own cruise after that. This is a great time to be doing that. All right. That said, let's let's go cruise around the SEC, courtesy of Royal Caribbean here for a moment. So in light of what we're talking about today with Georgia, you know, losing a couple of former high profile recruits to the transfer portal, Dabo Swinney's recent words over the weekend get probably even more attention because of that Dabo is not a fan of some of these changes to college football Dabo takes a lot of heat from the sort of typical social media mob but stuff like this even though I don't necessarily agree with everything that Dabo says the fact that he doesn't change his tune in light of all the criticism that he gets I think there's a there's a there's a point in which that's kind of admirable I I guess a bit Dabo is more than happy to swim in the opposite direction as the current of culture on this I think we have a couple of these quotes we can show you here Dabo Sweeney uh about you know taking players in the transfer portal this is something that Dabo really hasn't done i think he did take a transfer this year but it was a player that used to be at clemson so uh that's not exactly you know a, a full dip in the portal he says my transfer portal is right in there in that locker room because if i'm constantly going out a- after every year and adding guys from the transfer portal i'm telling all those guys in that locker room that i don't believe in them Dabo explained we're also not doing our jobs as coaches and recruiters if we're bringing in a bunch of transfers. Uh, is that anything, anything else? Yeah, so uh, so that's Dabo Sweeney on that topic there. And as I said before, I think that's an actually pretty admirable stance. And I can promise you this, the players themselves love that. Now listen, Georgia fans aren't Clemson fans. They don't like Dabo Sweeney, but I'm going to stick up for Dabo here on this a little bit. Is that if you can look at a player and tell him, hey, if I offer you a scholarship, I'm not going to pull that offer from you. Or if I bring you into this program, I'm, I'm not going to I'm not going to take a transfer portal player and like basically like give him the spot that you're trying to earn. That's the promise I'm willing to make to you as a coach. Like that's actually pretty admirable. That's actually kind of a cool thing that Dabo Swinney has been able to do. But it is fair to wonder how much that's going to work in the future because it's one thing not to take portal players as long as your quarterback's Trevor Lawrence or not to take portal players as long as your quarterback's Deshaun Watson. When you've got these all-time great-level quarterbacks who are leading you to the playoff and national championships, they can help cover up some other deficiencies you might otherwise have on your roster. But when you don't have that guy at quarterback anymore, when your quarterback's DJ Uyunglele, who did not have a great year last year, all of a sudden the the relative lack of roster strength in other places is going to be just more accentuated. So this is where Dabo's strong line, you know, hard line stance on this, I think is going to be curious to see how that impacts Clemson's status as a perennial playoff contender. Because as I mentioned off the top of the program, I like the idea that Georgia seems to have some unwavering uh, principles. It's going to ask a lot of the players to come to this program. It's going to ask them to sacrifice some glory. It's going to ask them to be a little bit patient. It's going to ask a lot from them. But that doesn't change the fact that Georgia still needs elite players. In other words, just give me guys who want to be here. That, that, that alone's not enough. You have to have elite players who want to be here if you want to truly play at the national championship level. So it's one thing that Dabo Swinney says that he's not interested in the transfer portal. He doesn't want to do that. I think it's fair to wonder, okay, well, that's a cool experiment. I'm glad you're trying this, but let's see how it works. And it's not obvious that it's going to continue to work. That if you're not willing to utilize whatever the program, the sport is willing to utilize, if you're not willing to play that game at all, can you remain an elite championship contending program? If Clemson does, then, I mean, as much as Georgia fans kind of don't want to hear this, 
I think that says something pretty good about Dabo Swinney, but it's not obvious it's going to work out for him if he doesn't quite have that great quarterback the way that he's had in the past. By the way, speaking of transfers, another interesting story on that front. Alabama appears poised to lose. In fact, you know, in the transfer portal goes former five-star wide receiver Jai Hall. Saban announced uh, over the course of the last couple of days that Ajayi was going to be suspended for violation of team rules, not getting too specific about what that is. We even speculated about this last week that it's just been long thought that that Saban and Hall were kind of not seeing eye to eye, that some of the stuff that Saban said critical of why Alabama lost the national championship game, a lot of this was kind of thought to be almost like a verbal subtweet of Hall and his unwillingness to buy into what Alabama was asking from him and now all of this has kind of come to a head with you know Bama suspending Hall, Hall now looking to move on. This has kind of been out there for a while. Just given the baggage that he seems to have because of his time in Alabama, I'd be surprised if Georgia got involved here uh, just because, I don't know, there's probably going to be a lot of kicking the tires that goes on with Hall based on the fact that he did not really quite work out so well in Alabama. But I guess you have a couple of takeaways on this that you know not even the mighty Crimson Tide, as they're viewed to be by many, are immune to these kind of you know issues where – you know, guys come in, they're going to want certain things, and you can't make everybody happy right away. And if you're a great coach, you don't even try to. That you try to manage your program and run it the very best you possibly can, and it's not going to be for everybody. That's true for Saban in Alabama. It's true for Kirby Smart in Georgia. And maybe the example uh, of that there with the Ajayi Hall story. And then finally, there's this. I saw where uh, both uh, Kendall Bryles and Barry Odom spoke to reporters there in Arkansas over the course of the last couple of days. And both spoke about their decision to stay with the, the Razorbacks. Obviously, Barry Adams, former head coach, he turned down big money to go be Texas defensive coordinator when Steve Sarkeesian was first hired. I'm sure Odom's got all kinds of job opportunities and offers, and Kendall Browse we know has. And yet both guys thus far have chosen to stay with Sam Pittman. This continues to be, to me, one of the most interesting stories in college football. And it's kind of a feel-good story for us around here because we do enjoy rooting for uh Pittman we're happy to see him having the success that he's enjoying there at Arkansas but beyond that this is a guy that almost no one would have ever guessed would go from offensive line coach at Georgia especially kind of the advanced I don't know Pittman's not an old man but to to just only recently being even mentioned as a possible head coach I just don't think many people saw this coming for Pittman you leave Georgia's offensive line coach you go become head coach at Arkansas it's a little bit of an experiment and yet Pittman through the strength of his coordinator hires has had amazing you know success over the course of his first two years in the job there especially compared to where chad morris had that program before Pittman got there this is an incredible level of success they're enjoying the fact that Pittman's now holding on to these coordinators now for a whole nother year gives them a chance to take an even another step towards uh success and more development of the program here in year three i mean i could not be happier for Pittman to see him having the success that he's having and I think that Arkansas is really on its way to being a real player in the SEC West, a very tough out for anybody that plays them, and really a team to keep in mind for some pretty big things here in the 2022 season. So Pittman continues to do a good job, and holding on to those coordinators continues to be a big reason for all of that. All right, so let me say this before we wrap up. And by the way, that was our uh, cruise around the SEC, courtesy of Royal Caribbean. So this is a very big week for Dog Nation. We have a lot of events coming up that I want you to be aware of as we head towards G-Day on Saturday. But before we kind of get to the rest of the week, let me just talk about Wednesday a little bit. It's going to be an amazing day as we are there at Truist Park, Battery Atlanta, broadcasting live from Sport and Social that morning, obviously starting 
uh, for uh, our first and 15 at 945, and then 10 a.m. after that as the Atlanta Braves celebrate Champions Week. It's so much fun to have Major League Baseball back. Uh, great to have the Braves going again. Just fun to watch everybody kind of reacting to that on social media, and we're all watching those games together and everything else like that. And obviously, it's a great time to be a Braves fan there as well as they continue to celebrate their World Series championship. We start the 2022 season. They're giving out the replica rings today for their home game, which I know is going to be a very, very hot commodity, big hot ticket for the game today. But on Wednesday, we're going to be there because not only does uh, the, do, do the Braves continue their celebrating of their own championship, but that day they're going to be celebrating UGA there as well because for the 12-20 start uh, against the Nationals, uh, before that, from 10 until noon there that morning, this is on Wednesday, the Braves World Series trophy and the Georgia College Football Playoff National Championship trophy are going to be there together. And if you've got a ticket for the game there that day, you can get your picture taken with both of those great trophies. This is going down on Wednesday. We're going to be broadcasting live there. It is going to be a super, super fun day. For those of us who are Georgia fans and Braves fans, the idea that both these trophies in the same place at the same time is just a really, really cool thing. And I cannot wait to do that there on Wednesday. So I want you to be there and be a part of it. Go to Braves.com slash Champions Week. You can find out more about the event and you can get your tickets. It's Braves.com slash Champions Week. But there's also this. Tomorrow on this program, we're going to give away three sets of tickets, three pairs of tickets for the game on Wednesday. So tune in to Dog Nation Daily tomorrow. We've got three pairs of tickets for the Wednesday day game against the Nationals where the Georgia Trophy and the Braves Trophy are going to be there together. We're going to give those tickets to you. We're going to somebody may not be you but maybe it will be. The point is, we're going to give away three pairs of tickets tomorrow on this show. So Big, big event. Wednesday, we're broadcasting live from Sport and Social Battery Atlanta. It's Champions Week celebration with the Braves. The World Series trophy, the National Championship trophy, going to both be there together. If you've got a ticket to the game, you can get your picture taken with both those trophies. And tomorrow, we're going to give away three pairs of tickets for the Braves game on Wednesday as Champions Week is celebrated right there at Truist Park. So Braves.com slash Champions Week. Tickets to give away tomorrow. Man, what a great time to be a Braves fan and a Georgia fan. What a great time to be just enjoying the world of sports. And we'll have a lot more fun with you on that tomorrow, heading towards our live broadcast from uh, the Battery Atlanta coming up on Wednesday. So you got all that. Does that make sense? Any questions about that? Uh, we'll tell you more about that tomorrow. It's going to be a, a lot of fun. So kind of a happy way to conclude what was a little bit of a stressful uh, topic related to a couple of uh, former elite recruits in the transfer portal for UGA. By the way, speaking of happy good news, let's also keep that going as well with our golden shoe here today. Someone was nice enough to share this with me, uh, Keith McCants, and this is really cool so we'll give keith a golden shoe for this a uh, great video of quay walker day in his hometown of cordial georgia I actually drove by cordial yesterday uh but great to see um the former crisp county linebacker honored there in his hometown of cordial on quay walker day we've seen a few of these lately for former dogs or current dogs being honored by their hometown that's a great thing to see uh, quay has represented that town in uh, that community so well while at UGA and is on his way to being a big time draft pick there as well so congratulations to him uh Quay Walker Day in Cordial Georgia that's awesome to see here's what else is awesome to see there as well Gator Hater Updater 4,841 days since the uh, lousy stinking Gators have celebrated a national championship a lot of Georgia fans in Crisp County know a lot of Florida fans down there and they love to talk trash about that and uh, that's not going to stop anytime soon. Here's what else is not stopping anytime soon. The Gator Hater Countdown. Dogs back in Jacksonville. 201 days from right now. 
beating Florida again. That's our Gator Hater Countdown. We will see you tomorrow on Dog Nation Daily, presented by Pella Window and Door of Georgia. And on the podcast, I'm going to have the R.S. Andrews Podcast Cooldown. Good to be back doing this with you again after a couple of days of not having a cooldown. I'll also tell you this, doing the video cooldown a moment ago. <laughs> so I've got a little bit of a throat thing going on. Uh, I said before, I don't typically get, uh, we call it sinuses or, you know, stuff like that. But I guess the allergies have kind of got to me a little bit. I've been outside a lot, and um, I guess I've got a little bit of that going on. Which for the most part is not a huge deal, but after talking for a long time, you know, the show you know lasts more than an hour, and then I do the cool down after that, and so over the course of time, it just kind of wears, you know, kind of wears on me a little bit. So I had to kind of like cut the uh, video cool down short a moment ago because I was uh, I was kind of struggling to get through it a little bit. But um, we'll we'll knock this out and kind of <laughs> come back and do more of that later on. I appreciate Brian Whitehead sharing this with me. From Raymond Cottrell, the uh, terrific 2023 wide receiver, I believe was back in Athens get over the weekend, who says on Twitter, uh, I want to thank the Lord and Savior uh, Jesus Christ for waking me up this morning. Also, if you're a wide receiver in the class of 2023, uh, get your mind right. Coach BMAC going crazy in the wide receiver room. Trust and believe that. He says, don't sleep on us. Uh, so I'm happy to hear that uh, Cottrell's uh, very happy with Brian McClendon. Always happy to see guys like that recruiting in a big way for uh, folks to uh, end up there at a UGA. So, uh, that's really fun. I'm, you know, every, every indication is that McClendon is already making a pretty big impact there at Georgia. So kind of nice to see, and maybe some nice good news on the heels of, you know, what's not great news. Anytime you lose, you know, a, a player of Mims caliber, potential caliber, it's always a little bit of a disappointing thing. So maybe some nice positive news there to kind of wrap things up there today. We'll do more comments uh, tomorrow. Hopefully. You won't have to tolerate my uh, nasally sounding uh, voice at that point in time. But anyway, thanks for being here for R.S. Andrews Podcast Cooldown. Y'all find R.S. Andrews online for your air conditioning, heating, plumbing, electric needs. They show up on time, do the work that's promised, the price that's promised. You can trust R.S. Andrews to do that for you today as we head towards that warm weather time of the year, getting that air conditioning unit tuned back up to factory fresh specs. Boy, that makes a lot of sense. It's just 99 bucks, And as said before, rsandrews.com, the website you go to to find out more about that. Y'all have a great day. We'll see you back here tomorrow for Dog Nation Daily, presented by Palo Window and Door of Georgia. We'll look forward to talking to you then.